Hansel and Gretel by Jacob Grimm and Wilhelm Grimm Hard by a great forest dwelt a poor woodcutter with his wife and his two children. The boy was called Hansel and the girl Gretel. He had little to bite and to break, and once when great dearth fell on the land, he could no longer procure even daily bread. Now when he thought over this by night in his bed, and tossed about in his anxiety, he groaned and said to his wife, What is to become of us? How are we to feed our poor children, when we no longer have anything even for ourselves? I'll tell you what, husband, answered the woman. Early tomorrow morning we will take the children out into the forest to where it is the thickest. There we will light a fire for them, and give each of them one more piece of bread, and then we will go to our work and leave them alone. They will not find the way home again, and we shall be rid of them. No, wife, said the man. I will not do that. How can I bear to leave my children alone in the forest? The wild animals would soon come and tear them to pieces. Oh, you fool, said she. Then we must all four die of hunger. You may as well plane the planks for our coffins. And she left him no peace until he consented. But I feel very sorry for the poor children, all the same, said the man. The two children had also not been able to sleep for hunger, and had heard what their stepmother had said to their father. Gretel wept bitter tears, and said to Hansel, Now all is over with us. Be quiet, Gretel, said Hansel. Do not distress yourself, I will soon find a way to help us. And when the old folks had fallen asleep, he got up, put on his little coat, opened the door below, and crept outside. The moon shone brightly, and the white pebbles which lay in front of the house glittered like real silver pennies. Hansel stooped and stuffed the little pocket of his coat with as many as he could get in. Then he went back and said to Gretel, Be comforted, dear little sister, and sleep in peace, God will not forsake us. And he lay down again in his bed. When day dawned, but before the sun had risen, the woman came and awoke the two children, saying, Get up, you sluggards. We are going into the forest to fetch wood. She gave each a little piece of bread, and said, There is something for your dinner, but do not eat it up before then, for you will get nothing else. Gretel took the bread under her apron, as Hansel had the pebbles in his pocket. Then they all set out together on the way to the forest. When they had walked a short time, Hansel stood still and peeped back at the house, and did so again and again. His father said, Hansel, what are you looking at there and staying behind for? Pay attention, and do not forget how to use your legs. Ah, father, said Hansel, I am looking at my little white cat, which is sitting up on the roof, and wants to say goodbye to me. The wife said, Fool, that is not your little cat, that is the morning sun which is shining on the chimneys. Hansel, however, had not been looking back at the cat, but had been constantly throwing one of the white pebble stones out of his pocket on the road. When they had reached the middle of the forest, the father said, Now, children, pile up some wood, and I will light a fire that you may not be cold. Hansel and Gretel gathered brushwood together, as high as a little hill. The brushwood was lighted, and when the flames were burning very high, the woman said, 
Now, children, lay yourselves down by the fire and rest, we will go into the forest and cut some wood. When we have done, we will come back and fetch you away. Hansel and Gretel sat by the fire, and when noon came, each ate a little piece of bread, and as they heard the strokes of the wood axe, they believed that their father was near. It was not the axe, however, but a branch which he had fastened to a withered tree which the wind was blowing backwards and forwards. And as they had been sitting such a long time, their eyes closed with fatigue, and they fell fast asleep. When at last they awoke, it was already dark night. Gretel began to cry and said, How are we to get out of the forest now? But Hansel comforted her and said, Just wait a little, until the moon has risen, and then we will soon find the way. And when the full moon had risen, Hansel took his little sister by the hand, and followed the pebbles which shone like newly coined silver pieces, and showed them the way. They walked the whole night long, and by break of day came once more to their father's house. They knocked at the door, and when the woman opened it and saw that it was Hansel and Gretel, she said, You naughty children, why have you slept so long in the forest? We thought you were never coming back at all. The father, however, rejoiced, for it had cut him to the heart to leave them behind alone. Not long afterwards, there was once more great dearth throughout the land, and the children heard their mother saying at night to their father, Everything is eaten again, we have one half loaf left, and that is the end. The children must go, we will take them farther into the wood, so that they will not find their way out again, there is no other means of saving ourselves. The man's heart was heavy, and he thought, It would be better for you to share the last mouthful with your children. The woman, however, would listen to nothing that he had to say, but scolded and reproached him. He who says a must say be, likewise, and as he had yielded the first time, he had to do so a second time also. The children, however, were still awake and had heard the conversation. When the old folks were asleep, Hansel again got up, and wanted to go out and pick up pebbles as he had done before. But the woman had locked the door, and Hansel could not get out. Nevertheless he comforted his little sister, and said, Do not cry, Gretel, go to sleep quietly, the good God will help us. Early in the morning came the woman, and took the children out of their beds. Their piece of bread was given to them, but it was still smaller than the time before. On the way into the forest Hansel crumbled his in his pocket, and often stood still and threw a morsel on the ground. Hansel, why do you stop and look round? said the father. Go on. I am looking back at my little pigeon which is sitting on the roof and wants to say goodbye to me, answered Hansel. Fool! said the woman. That is not your little pigeon, that is the morning sun that is shining on the chimney. Hansel, however little by little, threw all the crumbs on the path. The woman led the children still deeper into the forest, where they had never in their lives been before. Then a great fire was again made, and the mother said, Just sit there, you children, and when you are tired you may sleep a little, we are going into the forest to cut wood, and in the evening when we are done, we will come and fetch you away. When it was noon, Gretel shared her piece of bread with Hansel, 
who had scattered his by the way. Then they fell asleep and evening passed, but no one came to the poor children. They did not awake until it was dark night, and Hansel comforted his little sister and said, Just wait, Gretel, until the moon rises, and then we shall see the crumbs of bread which I have strewn about, they will show us our way home again. When the moon came they set out, but they found no crumbs, for the many thousands of birds which fly about in the woods and fields had picked them all up. Hansel said to Gretel, We shall soon find the way. But they did not find it. They walked the whole night and all the next day too from morning till evening, but they did not get out of the forest, and were very hungry, for they had nothing to eat but two or three berries, which grew on the ground. And as they were so weary that their legs would carry them no longer, they lay down beneath a tree and fell asleep. It was now three mornings since they had left their father's house. They began to walk again, but they always came deeper into the forest, and if help did not come soon, they must die of hunger and weariness. When it was midday, they saw a beautiful snow-white bird sitting on a bough which sang so delightfully that they stood still and listened to it. And when its song was over, it spread its wings and flew away before them, and they followed it until they reached a little house, on the roof of which it alighted, and when they approached the little house they saw that it was built of bread and covered with cakes, but that the windows were of clear sugar. We will set to work on that, said Hansel, and have a good meal. I will eat a bit of the roof, and you, Gretel, can eat some of the window, it will taste sweet. Hansel reached up above, and broke off a little of the roof to try how it tasted, and Gretel leant against the window and nibbled at the panes. Then a soft voice cried from the parlor, Nibble, nibble, gnaw. Who is nibbling at my little house? The children answered, The wind, the wind, the heaven-born wind and went on eating without disturbing themselves. Hansel, who liked the taste of the roof, tore down a great piece of it, and Gretel pushed out the hole of one round windowpane, sat down, and enjoyed herself with it. Suddenly the door opened, and a woman as old as the hills, who supported herself on crutches, came creeping out. Hansel and Gretel were so terribly frightened that they let fall what they had in their hands. The old woman, however, nodded her head and said, Oh, you dear children, who has brought you here? Do come in and stay with me. No harm shall happen to you. She took them both by the hand and led them into her little house. Then good food was set before them, milk and pancakes, with sugar, apples, and nuts. Afterwards two pretty little beds were covered with clean white linen and Hansel and Gretel lay down in them, and thought they were in heaven. The old woman had only pretended to be so kind, she was in reality a wicked witch, who lay in wait for children, and had only built the little house of bread in order to entice them there. When a child fell into her power, she killed it, cooked and ate it, and that was a feast day with her. Witches have red eyes, and cannot see far, but they have a keen scent like the beasts, and are aware when human beings draw near. When Hansel and Gretel came into her neighborhood, she laughed with malice, and said mockingly, I have them, 
they shall not escape me again. Early in the morning before the children were awake, she was already up, and when she saw both of them sleeping and looking so pretty, with their plump and rosy cheeks she muttered to herself, That will be a dainty mouthful. Then she seized Hansel with her shriveled hand, carried him into a little stable, and locked him in behind a grated door. Scream as he might, it would not help him. Then she went to Gretel, shook her till she awoke, and cried. Get up, lazy thing, fetch some water, and cook something good for your brother. He is in the stable outside, and is to be made fat. When he is fat, I will eat him. Gretel began to weep bitterly, but it was all in vain, for she was forced to do what the wicked witch commanded. And now the best food was cooked for poor Hansel, but Gretel got nothing but crab shells. Every morning the woman crept to the little stable and cried, Hansel, stretch out your finger that I may feel if you will soon be fat. Hansel, however, stretched out a little bone to her, and the old woman, who had dim eyes, could not see it and thought it was Hansel's finger and was astonished that there was no way of fattening him. When four weeks had gone by, and Hansel still remained thin, she was seized with impatience and would not wait any longer. Now, then, Gretel! She cried to the girl. Stir yourself and bring some water. Let Hansel be fat or lean, tomorrow I will kill him and cook him. Ah, how the poor little sister did lament when she had to fetch the water and how her tears did flow down her cheeks. Dear God, do help us! She cried. If the wild beasts in the forest had but devoured us, we should at any rate have died together. Just keep your noise to yourself, said the old woman. It won't help you at all. Early in the morning, Gretel had to go out and hang up the cauldron with the water and light the fire. We will bake first, said the old woman. I have already heated the oven and kneaded the dough. She pushed poor Gretel out to the oven, from which flames of fire were already darting. Creep in, said the witch, and see if it is properly heated so that we can put the bread in. And once Gretel was inside, she intended to shut the oven and let her bake in it, and then she would eat her too. But Gretel saw what she had in mind and said, I do not know how I am to do it. How do I get in? Silly goose, said the old woman. The door is big enough. Just look, I can get in myself. And she crept up and thrust her head into the oven. Then Gretel gave her a push that drove her far into it and shut the iron door and fastened the bolt. Oh! Then she began to howl quite horribly. But Gretel ran away, and the godless witch was miserably burnt to death. Gretel, however, ran like lightning to Hansel, opened his little stable, and cried, Hansel, we are saved! The old witch is dead! Then Hansel sprang like a bird from its cage when the door is opened. How they did rejoice and embrace each other, and dance about and kiss each other. And as they had no longer any need to fear her, they went into the witch's house, and in every corner there stood chests full of pearls and jewels. These are far better than pebbles, said Hansel, and thrust into his pockets whatever could be got in, and Gretel said, 
I too, will take something home with me. And filled her pinafore full. But now we must be off, said Hansel, that we may get out of the witch's forest. When they had walked for two hours, they came to a great stretch of water. We cannot cross, said Hansel. I see no footplank and no bridge. And there is also no fairy, answered Gretel. But a white duck is swimming there. If I ask her, she will help us over. Then she cried. Little duck, little duck, dost thou see? Hansel and Gretel are waiting for thee? There's never a plank or bridge in sight. Take us across on thy back so white. The duck came to them, and Hansel seated himself on its back, and told his sister to sit by him. No, replied Gretel. That will be too heavy for the little duck. She shall take us across, one after the other. The good little duck did so, and when they were once safely across and had walked for a short time, the forest seemed to be more and more familiar to them and at length they saw from afar their father's house. Then they began to run, rushed into the parlor, and threw themselves round their father's neck. The man had not known one happy hour since he had left the children in the forest. The woman, however, was dead. Gretel emptied her pinafore until pearls and precious stones ran about the room, and Hansel threw one handful after another out of his pocket to add to them. Then all anxiety was at an end, and they lived together in perfect happiness. My tale is done, there runs a mouse, whosoever catches it, may make himself a big fur cap out of it. The Frog Prince by Jacob Grimm and Wilhelm Grimm One fine evening a young princess put on her bonnet and clogs, and went out to take a walk by herself in a wood and when she came to a cool spring of water, that rose in the midst of it, she sat herself down to rest a while. Now she had a golden ball in her hand, which was her favorite plaything, and she was always tossing it up into the air, and catching it again as it fell. After a time she threw it up so high that she missed catching it as it fell, and the ball bounded away, and rolled along upon the ground, till at last it fell down into the spring. The princess looked into the spring after her ball, but it was very deep, so deep that she could not see the bottom of it. Then she began to bewail her loss, and said, Alas! If I could only get my ball again, I would give all my fine clothes and jewels, and everything that I have in the world. Whilst she was speaking, a frog put its head out of the water, and said, Princess, why do you weep so bitterly? Alas! said she. What can you do for me, you nasty frog? My golden ball has fallen into the spring. The frog said, I want not your pearls and jewels and fine clothes, but if you will love me and let me live with you and eat from off your golden plate and sleep upon your bed, I will bring you your ball again. What nonsense, thought the princess. This silly frog is talking. He can never even get out of the spring to visit me though he may be able to get my ball for me, and therefore I will tell him he shall have what he asks. So she said to the frog, Well, if you will bring me my ball, I will do all you ask. Then the frog put his head down, and dived deep under the water, and after a little while he came up again, with the ball in his mouth, and threw it on the edge of the spring. 
As soon as the young princess saw her ball, she ran to pick it up, and she was so overjoyed to have it in her hand again, that she never thought of the frog, but ran home with it as fast as she could. The frog called after her, Stay, princess, and take me with you as you said. But she did not stop to hear a word. The next day, just as the princess had sat down to dinner, she heard a strange noise, tap, tap, plash, plash, as if something was coming up the marble staircase, and soon afterwards there was a gentle knock at the door, and a little voice cried out and said, Open the door, my princess dear. Open the door to thy true love here, and mind the words that thou and I said, by the fountain cool, in the greenwood shade. Then the princess ran to the door and opened it, and there she saw the frog, whom she had quite forgotten. At this sight she was sadly frightened, and shutting the door as fast as she could came back to her seat. The king, her father, seeing that something had frightened her, asked her what was the matter. There is a nasty frog, said she, at the door, that lifted my ball for me out of the spring this morning. I told him that he should live with me here, thinking that he could never get out of the spring, but there he is at the door, and he wants to come in. While she was speaking the frog knocked again at the door, and said, Open the door, my princess dear. Open the door to thy true love here, and mind the words that thou and I said, by the fountain cool, in the greenwood shade. Then the king said to the young princess, As you have given your word you must keep it, so go and let him in. She did so, and the frog hopped into the room, and then straight on, tap, tap, plash, plash, from the bottom of the room to the top, till he came up close to the table where the princess sat. Pray lift me upon chair, said he to the princess, and let me sit next to you. As soon as she had done this, the frog said, Put your plate nearer to me, that I may eat out of it. This she did, and when he had eaten as much as he could, he said, Now I am tired, carry me upstairs, and put me into your bed. And the princess, though very unwilling, took him up in her hand, and put him upon the pillow of her own bed, where he slept all night long. As soon as it was light he jumped up, hopped downstairs, and went out of the house. Now, then, thought the princess, at last he is gone, and I shall be troubled with him no more. But she was mistaken, for when night came again she heard the same tapping at the door, and the frog came once more, and said, Open the door, my princess dear, open the door to thy true love here, and mind the words that thou and I said, by the fountain cool, in the greenwood shade. And when the princess opened the door the frog came in, and slept upon her pillow as before, till the morning broke. And the third night he did the same. But when the princess awoke on the following morning she was astonished to see, instead of the frog, a handsome prince, gazing on her with the most beautiful eyes she had ever seen, and standing at the head of her bed. He told her that he had been enchanted by a spiteful fairy, who had changed him into a frog, and that he had been fated so to abide till some princess should take him out of the spring, and let him eat from her plate, and sleep upon her bed for three nights. You, said the prince, have broken his cruel charm, and now I have nothing to wish for but that you should go with me into my father's kingdom, where I will marry you, and love you as long as you live. 
The young princess, you may be sure, was not long in saying, Yes, to all this, and as they spoke a gay coach drove up, with eight beautiful horses, decked with plumes of feathers and a golden harness, and behind the coach rode the prince's servant, faithful Heinrich, who had bewailed the misfortunes of his dear master during his enchantment so long and so bitterly, that his heart had well nigh burst. They then took leave of the king, and got into the coach with eight horses, and all set out, full of joy and merriment, for the prince's kingdom, which they reached safely, and there they lived happily a great many years. Little Red Cap by Jacob Grimm and Wilhelm Grimm Once upon a time there was a dear little girl who was loved by everyone who looked at her, but most of all by her grandmother, and there was nothing that she would not have given to the child. Once she gave her a little cap of red velvet, which suited her so well that she would never wear anything else. So she was always called Little Red Cap. One day her mother said to her, Come, Little Red Cap, here is a piece of cake and a bottle of wine. Take them to your grandmother. She is ill and weak, and they will do her good. Set out before it gets hot. And when you are going, walk nicely and quietly and do not run off the path, or you may fall and break the bottle, and then your grandmother will get nothing. And when you go into her room, don't forget to say, good morning, and don't peep into every corner before you do it. I will take great care, said Little Red Cap to her mother and gave her hand on it. The grandmother lived out in the wood, half a league from the village, and just as Little Redcap entered the wood, a wolf met her. Redcap did not know what a wicked creature he was, and was not at all afraid of him. Good day, Little Redcap, said he. Thank you kindly, wolf. Whither away so early, little red cap? To my grandmother's. What have you got in your apron? Cake and wine. Yesterday was baking day. So posit grandmother is to have something good, to make her stronger. Where does your grandmother live, little red cap? A good quarter of league farther on in the wood. Her house stands under the three large oak trees. The nut trees are just below. You surely must know it, replied Little Red Cap. The wolf thought to himself, What a tender young creature! What a nice plump mouthful! She will be better to eat than the old woman. I must act craftily, so as to catch both. So he walked for a short time by the side of Little Red Cap, and then he said, See, Little Red Cap, how pretty the flowers are about here. Why do you not look round? I believe, too, 
that you do not hear how sweetly the little birds are singing. You walk gravely along, as if you were going to school, while everything else out here in the wood is merry. Little Redcap raised her eyes, and when she saw the sunbeams dancing here and there through the trees, and pretty flowers growing everywhere, she thought, Suppose I ate Grandmother a fresh nosegay. That would please her, too. It is so early in the day that I shall still get there in good time. And so she ran from the path into the wood to look for flowers. And whenever she had picked one, she fancied that she saw a still prettier one farther on and ran after it and so got deeper and deeper into the wood. Meanwhile, the wolf ran straight to the grandmother's house and knocked at the door. Who is there, little Redcap? replied the wolf. She is bringing cake and wine. Open the door. Lift the latch. Called out the grandmother. I am too weak and cannot get up. The wolf lifted the latch. The door sprang open, and without saying a word, he went straight to the grandmother's bed and devoured her. Then he put on her clothes, dressed himself in her cap, laid himself in bed, and drew the curtains. Little Red Cap, however, had been running about picking flowers and when she had gathered so many that she could carry no more, she remembered her grandmother and set out on the way to her. She was surprised to find the cottage door standing open, and when she went into the room, she had such a strange feeling that she said to herself, Oh dear, how uneasy I feel today. And at other times I like being with Grandmother so much. She called out, Good morning, but received no answer. So she went to the bed and drew back the curtains. There lay her Grandmother with her cap pulled far over her face and looking very strange. Oh, Grandmother, she said, What big ears you have. The better to hear you with, my child, was the reply. But, Grandmother, what big eyes you have, she said. The better to see you with, my dear. But, Grandmother, what large hands you have. The better to hug you with. Oh, but, Grandmother, what a terrible big mouth you have. The better to eat you with. And scarcely had the wolf said this. Then with one bound he was out of bed and swallowed up Redcap. When the wolf had appeased his appetite, he lay down again in the bed, fell asleep, and began to snore very loud. The huntsman was just passing the house and thought to himself, how the old woman is snoring. I must just see if she wants anything. So he went into the room, and when he came to the bed, he saw that the wolf was lying in it, 
Do I find you here, you old sinner? said he. I have long sought you. Then just as he was going to fire at him, it occurred to him that the wolf might have devoured the grandmother and that she might still be saved. So he did not fire, but took a pair of scissors and began to cut open the stomach of the sleeping wolf. When he had made two snips, he saw the little red cap shining, and then he made two snips more, and the little girl sprang out, crying. Ah, how frightened I have been! How dark it was inside the wolf! And after that the aged grandmother came out alive also, but scarcely able to breathe. Redcap, however, quickly fetched great stones with which they filled the wolf's belly. And when he awoke, he wanted to run away, but the stones were so heavy that he collapsed at once and fell dead. Then all three were delighted. The huntsman drew off the wolf's skin and went home with it. The grandmother ate the cake and drank the wine which Redcap had brought, and revived. But Redcap thought to herself, As long as I live, I will never by myself leave the path to run into the wood, when my mother has forbidden me to do so. It also related that once, when Redcap was again taking cakes to the old grandmother, another wolf spoke to her and tried to entice her from the path. Redcap, however, was on her guard and went straight forward on her way and told her grandmother that she had met the wolf and that he had said good morning to her, but with such a wicked look in his eyes that if they had not been on the public road, she was certain he would have eaten her up. Well said the grandmother we will shut the door that he may not come in soon afterwards the wolf knocked and cried open the door grandmother i am little redcap and am bringing you some cakes but they did not speak or open the door so the graybeard stole twice or thrice round the house and at last jumped on the roof, intending to wait until Red Cap went home in the evening, and then to steal after her and devour her in the darkness. But the grandmother saw what was in his thoughts. In front of the house was a great stone trough, so she said to the child, Take the pail, Red Cap. I made some sausages yesterday, so carry the water in which I boiled them to the trough. Redcap carried until the great trough was quite full. Then the smell of the sausages reached the wolf, and he sniffed and peeped down, and at last stretched out his neck so far that he could no longer keep his footing and began to slip and slipped down from the roof straight into the great trough, and was drowned. But Redcap went joyously home, and no one ever did anything to harm her again.
Rapunzel by Jacob Grimm and Wilhelm Grimm There were once a man and a woman who had long in vain wished for a child. At length the woman hoped that God was about to grant her desire. These people had a little window at the back of their house from which a splendid garden could be seen, which was full of the most beautiful flowers and herbs. It was, however, surrounded by a high wall, and no one dared to go into it because it belonged to an enchantress, who had great power and was dreaded by all the world. One day the woman was standing by this window and looking down into the garden, when she saw a bed which was planted with the most beautiful rampion, and it looked so fresh and green that she longed for it, she quite pined away, and began to look pale and miserable. Then her husband was alarmed, and asked, what ails you, dear wife? Ah. She replied, If I can't eat some of the rampion, which is in the garden behind our house, I shall die. The man, who loved her, thought, Sooner than let your wife die, bring her some of the rampion yourself, let it cost what it will. At twilight, he clambered down over the wall into the garden of the enchantress, hastily clutched a handful of rampion, and took it to his wife. She at once made herself a salad of it, and ate it greedily. It tasted so good to her, so very good, that the next day she longed for it three times as much as before. If he was to have any rest, her husband must once more descend into the garden. In the gloom of evening, therefore, he let himself down again, but when he had clambered down the wall he was terribly afraid, for he saw the enchantress standing before him. How can you dare, said she with angry look, descend into my garden and steal my rampion like a thief? You shall suffer for it. Ah, answered he. Let mercy take the place of justice. I only made up my mind to do it out of necessity. My wife saw your rampion from the window and felt such a longing for it that she would have died if she had not got some to eat. Then the enchantress allowed her anger to be softened, and said to him, If the case be as you say, I will allow you to take away with you as much rampion as you will, only I make one condition, you must give me the child which your wife will bring into the world, it shall be well treated, and I will care for it like a mother. The man in his terror consented to everything, and when the woman was brought to bed, the enchantress appeared at once gave the child the name of Rapunzel, and took it away with her. Rapunzel grew into the most beautiful child under the sun. When she was twelve years old, the enchantress shut her into a tower, which lay in a forest, and had neither stairs nor door, but quite at the top was a little window. When the enchantress wanted to go in, she placed herself beneath it and cried, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair to me. Rapunzel had magnificent long hair, fine as spun gold, and when she heard the voice of the enchantress she unfastened her braided tresses, wound them round one of the hooks of the window above, and then the hair fell twenty ells down, and the enchantress climbed up by it. After a year or two, it came to pass that the king's son rode through the forest and passed by the tower. Then he heard a song which was so charming that he stood still and listened. This was Rapunzel, 
who in her solitude passed her time in letting her sweet voice resound. The king's son wanted to climb up to her, and looked for the door of the tower, but none was to be found. He rode home, but the singing had so deeply touched his heart, that every day he went out into the forest and listened to it. Once when he was thus standing behind a tree, he saw that an enchantress came there, and he heard how she cried. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair to me. Then Rapunzel let down the braids of her hair, and the enchantress climbed up to her. If that is the ladder by which one mounts, I too will try my fortune. Said he, and the next day when it began to grow dark, he went to the tower and cried. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair to me. Immediately the hair fell down and the king's son climbed up. At first Rapunzel was terribly frightened when a man, such as her eyes had never yet beheld, came to her. But the king's son began to talk to her quite like a friend, and told her that his heart had been so stirred that it had let him have no rest, and he had been forced to see her. Then Rapunzel lost her fear, and when he asked her if she would take him for her husband, and she saw that he was young and handsome, she thought, He will love me more than old Dame Godhell does. And she said, Yes. And laid her hand in his. She said, I will willingly go away with you, but I do not know how to get down. Bring with you a skein of silk every time that you come, and I will weave a ladder with it, and when that is ready I will descend, and you will take me on your horse. They agreed that until that time he should come to her every evening, for the old woman came by day. The enchantress remarked nothing of this, until once Rapunzel said to her, Tell me, Dame Godhell, how it happens that you are so much heavier for me to draw up than the young king's son, he is with me in a moment. Ah, you wicked child, cried the enchantress. What do I hear you say? I thought I had separated you from all the world, and yet you have deceived me. In her anger she clutched Rapunzel's beautiful tresses, wrapped them twice round her left hand, seized a pair of scissors with the right, and snip, snap, they were cut off, and the lovely braids lay on the ground. And she was so pitiless that she took poor Rapunzel into a desert where she had to live in great grief and misery. On the same day that she cast out Rapunzel, however, the enchantress fastened the braids of hair, which she had cut off, to the hook of the window, and when the king's son came and cried, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair to me, she let the hair down. The king's son ascended, but instead of finding his dearest Rapunzel, he found the enchantress, who gazed at him with wicked and venomous looks. Aha! She cried mockingly. You would fetch your dearest, but the beautiful bird sits no longer singing in the nest. The cat has got it, and will scratch out your eyes as well. Rapunzel is lost to you, you will never see her again. The king's son was beside himself with pain, and in his despair he leapt down from the tower. He escaped with his life, but the thorns into which he fell pierced his eyes. Then he wandered quite blind about the forest, ate nothing but roots and berries, and did not but lament and weep over the loss of his dearest wife.
Thus he roamed about in misery for some years, and at length came to the desert where Rapunzel, with the twins to which she had given birth, a boy and a girl, lived in wretchedness. He heard a voice, and it seemed so familiar to him that he went towards it, and when he approached, Rapunzel knew him and fell on his neck and wept. Two of her tears wetted his eyes and they grew clear again, and he could see with them as before. He led her to his kingdom where he was joyfully received, and they lived for a long time afterwards, happy and contented. Rumpelstiltskin by Jacob Grimm and Wilhelm Grimm By the side of a wood, in a country a long way off, ran a fine stream of water, and upon the stream there stood a mill. The miller's house was close by, and the miller, you must know, had a very beautiful daughter. She was, moreover, very shrewd and clever, and the miller was so proud of her that he one day told the king of the land, who used to come and hunt in the wood, that his daughter could spin gold out of straw. Now, this king was very fond of money, and when he heard the miller's boast, his greediness was raised, and he sent for the girl to be brought before him. Then he led her to a chamber in his palace where there was a great heap of straw, and gave her a spinning wheel, and said, All this must be spun into gold before morning, as you love your life. It was in vain that the poor maiden said that it was only a silly boast of her father, for that she could do no such thing as spin straw into gold. The chamber door was locked, and she was left alone. She sat down in one corner of the room and began to bewail her hard fate, when on a sudden the door opened, and a droll-looking little man hobbled in and said, Good morrow to you, my good lass. What are you weeping for? Alas, said she, I must spin this straw into gold, and I know not how. What will you give me, said the hobgoblin, to do it for you? My necklace, replied the maiden. He took her at her word and sat himself down to the wheel and whistled and sang, Round about, round about, Lo, and behold, Reel away, reel away, Straw into gold. And round about the wheel went merrily. The work was quickly done, and the straw was all spun into gold. When the king came and saw this, he was greatly astonished and pleased but his heart grew still more greedy of gain, and he shut up the poor miller's daughter again with a fresh task. Then she knew not what to do, and sat down once more to weep. But the dwarf soon opened the door and said, What will you give me to do your task? The ring on my finger, said she. So her little friend took the ring and began to work at the wheel again, and whistled and sang, Round about, round about, lo and behold, Reel away, reel away, straw into gold. Till long before morning all was done again. 
The king was greatly delighted to see all this glittering treasure, but still he had not enough. So he took the miller's daughter to a yet larger heap and said, All this must be spun tonight, and if it is, you shall be my queen. As soon as she was alone, that dwarf came in and said, What will you give me to spin gold for you this third time? I have nothing left, said she. Then say you will give me, said the little man, the first little child that you may have when you are queen. That may never be, thought the miller's daughter, and as she knew no other way to get her task done, she said she would do what he asked. Round went the wheel again to the old song, and the mannequin once more spun the heap into gold. The king came in the morning, and, finding all he wanted, was forced to keep his word. So he married the miller's daughter, and she really became queen. At the birth of her first little child, she was very glad and forgot the dwarf and what she had said. But one day he came into her room where she was sitting playing with her baby and put her in mind of it. Then she grieved sorely at her misfortune and said she would give him all the wealth of the kingdom if he would let her off. But in vain, till at last her tears softened him and he said, I will give you three days' grace, and if during that time you tell me my name, you shall keep your child. Now the queen lay awake all night, thinking of all the odd names that she had ever heard, and she sent messengers all over the land to find out new ones. The next day the little man came, and she began with, Timothy? Ichabod? Benjamin, Jeremiah, and all the names she could remember. But to all and each of them he said, Madam, that is not my name. The second day she began with all the comical names she could hear of. Bandy Legs, Hunchback, Crookshanks, and so on. But the little gentleman still said to every one of them, Madam, that is not my name. The third day, one of the messengers came back and said, I have traveled two days without hearing of any other names. But yesterday, as I was climbing a high hill, among the trees of the forest where the fox and the hare bid each other good night, I saw a little hut and before the hut burnt a fire, and round about the fire a funny little dwarf was dancing upon one leg and singing, Merrily the feast I'll make, today I'll brew, tomorrow bake, merrily I'll dance and sing, for next day will a stranger bring, little does my lady dream, Rumpelstiltskin is my name. When the queen heard this, she jumped for joy, and as soon as her little friend came, she sat down upon her throne and called all her court round to enjoy the fun, 
and the nurse stood by her side with the baby in her arms as if it was quite ready to be given up. Then the little man began to chuckle at the thought of having the poor child to take home with him to his hut in the woods, and he cried out, "'Now, lady, what is my name?' "'Is it John?' asked she. "'No, madam. Is it Tom?' "'No, madam. Is it Jemmy?' "'It is not.' "'Can your name be Rumpelstiltskin?' said the lady slyly. "'Some witch told you that! Some witch told you that!' cried the little man, and dashed his right foot in a rage so deep into the floor that he was forced to lay hold of it with both hands to pull it out. Then he made the best of his way off, while the nurse laughed and the baby crowed, and all the court jeered at him for having had so much trouble for nothing, and said, "'We wish you a very good morning and a merry feast, Mr. Rumpelstiltskin.'" The Wolf and the Seven Little Kids by Jacob Grimm and Wilhelm Grimm. There was once upon a time an old goat who had seven little kids and loved them with all the love of a mother for her children. One day she wanted to go into the forest and fetch some food. So she called all seven to her and said, Dear children, I have to go into the forest. Be on your guard against the wolf. If he comes in, he will devour you all skin, hair, and everything. The wretch often disguises himself, but you will know him at once by his rough voice and his black feet. The kids said, Dear mother, we will take good care of ourselves. You may go away without any anxiety. Then the old one bleated and went on her way with an easy mind. It was not long before someone knocked at the house door and called. Open the door, dear children. Your mother is here and has brought something back with her for each of you. But the little kids knew that it was the wolf by the rough voice. We will not open the door, cried they. You are not our mother. She has a soft, pleasant voice, but your voice is rough. You are the wolf. Then the wolf went away to a shopkeeper and bought himself a great lump of chalk, ate this, and made his voice soft with it. Then he came back, knocked at the door of the house, and called. Open the door, dear children. Your mother is here and has brought something back with her for each of you. But the wolf had laid his black paws against the window, and the children saw them and cried. We will not open the door. Our mother has not black feet like you. You are the wolf. Then the wolf ran to a baker and said, I have hurt my feet. Rub some dough over them for me. And when the baker had rubbed his feet over, he ran to the miller and said, Strew some white meal over my feet for me. 
The miller thought to himself, the wolf wants to deceive someone, and refused. But the wolf said, if you will not do it, I will devour you. Then the miller was afraid, and made his paws white for him. Truly, this is the way of mankind. So now the wretch went for the third time to the house door, knocked at it, and said, Open the door for me, children. Your dear little mother has come home and has brought every one of you something back from the forest with her. The little kids cried. First show us your paws that we may know if you are our dear little mother. Then he put his paws in through the window, and when the kids saw that they were white, they believed that all he said was true, and opened the door. But who should come in but the wolf? They were terrified and wanted to hide themselves. One sprang under the table, the second into the bed, the third into the stove, the fourth into the kitchen, the fifth into the cupboard, the sixth under the washing bowl, and the seventh into the clock case. But the wolf found them all and used no great ceremony. One after the other he swallowed them down his throat. The youngest, who was in the clock case, was the only one he did not find. When the wolf had satisfied his appetite, he took himself off, laid himself down under a tree in the green meadow outside, and began to sleep. Soon afterwards the old goat came home again from the forest. Uh, what a sight she saw there! The house door stood wide open. The table, chairs, and benches were thrown down. The washing bowl lay broken to pieces, and the quilts and pillows were pulled off the bed. She sought her children, but they were nowhere to be found. She called them one after another by name, but no one answered. At last, when she came to the youngest, a soft voice cried, Dear mother, I am in the clock case. She took the kid out, and it told her that the wolf had come and had eaten all the others. Then you may imagine how she wept over her poor children. At length in her grief she went out, and the youngest kid ran with her. When they came to the meadow, there lay the wolf by the tree and snored so loud that the branches shook. She looked at him on every side and saw that something was moving and struggling in his gorged belly. Out heavens, she said. Is it possible that my poor children whom he has swallowed down for his supper can be still alive? Then the kid had to run home and fetch scissors and a needle and thread, and the goat cut open the monster's stomach, and hardly had she made one cut. Then one little kid thrust its head out, and when she had cut farther, all six sprang out one after another and were all still alive, and had suffered no injury whatever, for in his greediness the monster had swallowed them down whole. 
what rejoicing there was. They embraced their dear mother and jumped like a tailor at his wedding. The mother, however, said, Now go and look for some big stones, and we will fill the wicked beast's stomach with them while he is still asleep. Then the seven kids dragged the stones thither with all speed, and put as many of them into this stomach as they could get in. And the mother sold him up again in the greatest haste, so that he was not aware of anything, and never once stirred. When the wolf at length had had his fill of sleep, he got on his legs, and as the stones in his stomach made him very thirsty, he wanted to go to a well to drink. But when he began to walk and to move about, the stones in his stomach knocked against each other and rattled. Then cried he, What rumbles and tumbles? Against my pole bones, I thought twas six skids, but it feels like big stones. And when he got to the well and stooped over the water to drink, the heavy stones made him fall in, and he drowned miserably. When the seven kids saw that, they came running to the spot and cried aloud, The wolf is dead. The wolf is dead and danced for joy round about the well with their mother. The Fisherman and His Wife by the Brothers Grimm There was once a fisherman who lived with his wife in a pigsty close by the seaside. The fisherman used to go out all day long a-fishing, and one day, as he sat on the shore with his rod, looking at the sparkling waves and watching his line, all of a sudden his float was dragged away deep into the water, and in drawing it up he pulled out a great fish. But the fish said, Pray, let me live. I am not a real fish. I am an enchanted prince. Put me in the water again and let me go. Oh, ho, said the man. You need not make so many words about the matter. I will have nothing to do with a fish that can talk. So swim away, sir, as soon as you please." Then he put him back into the water, and the fish darted straight down to the bottom and left a long streak of blood behind him on the wave. When the fisherman went home to his wife in the pigsty, he told her how he had caught a great fish and how it had told him it was an enchanted prince, and how, on hearing it speak, he had let it go again. "'Did you not ask it for anything?' said the wife. "'We live very wretchedly here in this nasty, dirty pigsty. Do go back and tell the fish we want a snug little cottage.' The fisherman did not much like the business. However, he went to the seashore, and when he came back there the water looked all yellow and green, and he stood at the water's edge and said, O man of the sea, hearken to me. My wife Isabel will have her own will, and hath sent me to beg a boon of thee. Then the fish came swimming to him and said, Well, what is her will? What does your wife want? Ah, said the fisherman. She says that when I had caught you, I ought to have asked you for something before I let you go. She does not like living any longer in the pigsty and wants a snug little cottage. Go home, then, said the fish. She is in the cottage already. So the man went home and saw his wife standing at the door of a nice, trim little cottage. Come in, come in, said she. Is not this much better than the filthy pigsty we had? And there was a parlor, and a bedchamber, and a kitchen, 
and behind the cottage there was a little garden planted with all sorts of flowers and fruits, and there was a courtyard behind full of ducks and chickens. Ah, said the fisherman, how happily we shall live now. We will try to do so at least, said his wife. Everything went right for a week or two, and then Dame Isabel said, Husband, there is not near room enough for us in this cottage. The courtyard and the garden are a great deal too small. I should like to have a large stone castle to live in. Go to the fish again and tell him to give us a castle. Wife, said the fisherman, I don't like to go to him again, for perhaps he will be angry. We ought to be easy with this pretty cottage to live in. Nonsense, said the wife. He will do it very willingly, I know. Go along and try. The fisherman went, but his heart was very heavy, and when he came to the sea it looked blue and gloomy, though it was very calm, and he went close to the edge of the waves and said, O man of the sea, hearken to me, my wife Isabel will have her own will, and hath sent me to beg a boon of thee. Well, what does she want now? said the fish. Ah, said the man, dolefully, my wife wants to live in a stone castle. Go home, then, said the fish, she is standing at the gate of it already. So away went the fisherman, and found his wife standing before the gate of a great castle. See, said she, is not this grand? With that they went into the castle together, and found a great many servants there, and the rooms all richly furnished and full of golden chairs and tables. And behind the castle was a garden, and around it was a park half a mile long, full of sheep and goats and hares and deer, and in the courtyard were stables and cowhouses. "'Well,' said the man, "'now we will live cheerful and happy in this beautiful castle for the rest of our lives.' "'Perhaps we may,' said the wife, "'but let us sleep upon it before we make up our minds to that.' So they went to bed. The next morning, when Dame Isabel woke, it was broad daylight, and she jogged the fisherman with her elbow and said, "'Get up, husband, and bestir yourself, for we must be king of all the land.' "'Wife!' "'Wife!' said the man. "'Why should we wish to be the king?' "'I will not be king.' "'Then I will,' said she. "'But wife,' said the fisherman, "'how can you be king? "'The fish cannot make you a king.' "'Husband,' said she, "'say no more about it, but go and try. "'I will be king.' "'So the man went away quite sorrowful "'to think that his wife should want to be king. "'This time the sea looked a dark grey colour "'and was overspread with curling waves "'and the ridges of foam as he cried out, "'O man of the sea, hearken to me.' My wife Isabel will have her own will, and hath sent me to beg a boon of thee. Well, what would she have now? said the fish. Alas, said the poor man, my wife wants to be king. Go home, said the fish. She is king already. Then the fisherman went home, and as he came close to the palace he saw a troop of soldiers and heard the sound of drums and trumpets, and when he went in he saw his wife sitting on a throne of gold and diamonds with a golden crown upon her head, and on each side of her stood six fair maidens, each a head taller than the other. "'Well, wife,' said the fisherman, "'are you king?' "'Yes,' said she, "'I am king.' And when he had looked at her for a long time he said, "'Ah, wife,' "'What a fine thing it is to be king! "'Now we shall never have anything more to wish for as long as we live.' "'I don't know how that may be,' said she. "'Never is a long time. "'I am king, it is true, but I begin to be tired of that, "'and I think I should like to be emperor.' "'Alas, wife, why should you wish to be emperor?' said the husband. "'Husband,' said she, "'go to the fish. 
I say I will be emperor. Ah, wife, replied the fisherman, the fish cannot make an emperor, I am sure, and I should not like to ask him for such a thing. I am king, said Isabel, and you are my slave, so go at once. So the fisherman was forced to go, and he muttered as he went along, This will come to no good. It is too much to ask. The fish will be tired at last, and then we shall be sorry for what we have done. He soon came to the seashore, and the water was quite black and muddy, and a mighty whirlwind blew over the waves and rolled them about. But as he went, as near as he could to the water's brink, he said, O man of the sea, hearken to me. My wife Isabel will have her own will, and hath sent me to beg a boon of thee. What would she have now? said the fish. Ah, said the fisherman, she wants to be emperor. Go home, said the fish, she is emperor already. So he went home again, and as he came near, he saw his wife Isabel sitting on a very lofty throne made of solid gold, with a great crown on her head full two yards high, and on each side of her stood her guards and attendants in a row, each one smaller than the other, from the tallest giant down to a little dwarf no bigger than my finger. And before her stood princes and dukes and earls, and the fisherman went up to her and said, Wife, are you emperor? Yes, said she, I am emperor. Ah, said the man, as he gazed upon her, what a fine thing it is to be emperor. Husband, said she, why should we stop at being emperor? I will be pope next. Oh, wife, wife, said he, how can you be pope? There is but one pope at a time in Christendom. Husband, said she, I will be pope this very day. But, replied the husband, the fish cannot make you pope. What nonsense, said she, if he can make an emperor, he can make a pope. Go and try him. So the fisherman went. But when he came to the shore, the wind was raging, and the sea was tossed up and down in boiling waves, and the ships were in trouble and rolled fearfully upon the tops of the billows. In the middle of the heavens there was a little piece of blue sky, but towards the south all was red, as if a dreadful storm was rising. At this sight the fisherman was dreadfully frightened, and he trembled so that his knees knocked together. But still he went down near to the shore and said, O man of the sea, hearken to me. My wife Isabel will have her own will, and hath sent me to beg a boon of thee. What does she want now? said the fish. Ah, said the fisherman. "'My wife wants to be Pope.' "'Go home,' said the fish. "'She is Pope already.' "'Then the fisherman went home, "'and found Isabel sitting on a throne that was two miles high, "'and she had three great crowns on her head, "'and around her stood all the pomp and power of the church, "'and on each side of her were two rows of burning lights of all sizes, "'the greatest as large as the highest and biggest tower in the world, "'and the least no longer than a small rushlight. "'Wife?' said the fisherman, as he looked at all this greatness. "'Are you Pope?' "'Yes,' said she, "'I am Pope.' "'Well, wife,' replied he, "'it is a grand thing to be Pope, and now you must be easy, for you can be nothing greater.' "'I will think about that,' said the wife. Then they went to bed, but Dame Isabel could not sleep all night for thinking what she should be next. At last, as she was dropping asleep, morning broke, and the sun rose. "'Ha!' thought she, as she woke up and looked at it through the window. "'After all, I cannot prevent the sun rising.' At this thought she was very angry, and wakened her husband and said, "'Husband, go to the fish and tell him I must be lord of the sun and moon.' The fisherman was half asleep, but the thought frightened him so much that he 
started and fell out of bed. Alas, wife, said he, cannot you be easy with being pope? No, said she, I am very uneasy as long as the sun and moon rise without my leave. Go to the fish at once. Then the man went shivering with fear, and as he was going down to the shore, a dreadful storm arose, so that the trees and the very rocks shook, and all the heavens became black with stormy clouds, and the lightnings played and the thunders rolled, and you might have seen in the sea great black waves swelling up like mountains with crowns of white foam upon their heads. And the fisherman crept towards the sea and cried out as well as he could, O man of the sea, hearken to me, my wife Isabel will have her own will, and hath sent me to beg a boon of thee. What does she want now? said the fish. Ah, said he, she wants to be lord of the sun and moon. Go home, said the fish, to your pigsty again. And there they live to this very day. The Golden Goose by the Brothers Grimm There was a man who had three sons, the youngest of whom was called Dumbling, and was despised, mocked, and sneered at on every occasion. It happened that the eldest wanted to go into the forest to Yew Wood, and before he went, his mother gave him a beautiful sweet cake and a bottle of wine in order that he might not suffer from hunger or thirst. When he entered the forest, he met a little gray-haired old man who bade him good day and said, "'Do give me a piece of cake out of your pocket, and let me have a draught of your wine. I am so hungry and thirsty.' But the clever son answered, "'If I give you my cake and wine, I shall have none for myself. Be off with you.' And he left the little man standing and went on. But when he began to hew down a tree, it was not long before he made a false stroke, and the axe cut him in the arm so that he had to go home and have it bound up. And this was the little grey man's doing. After this, the second son went into the forest, and his mother gave him, like the eldest, a cake and a bottle of wine. The little old man met him likewise, and asked him for a piece of cake and a drink of wine. But the second son, too, said sensibly enough, "'What I give you will be taken away from myself. Be off!' And he left the little man standing and went on. His punishment, however, was not delayed. When he had made a few blows at the tree, he struck himself in the leg, so that he had to be carried home. Then Dumbling said, "'Father, do let me go and cut wood.' The father answered, "'Your brothers have hurt themselves with it. Leave it alone. You do not understand anything about it.' But Dumbling begged so long that at last he said, "'Just go, then. You will get wiser by hurting yourself.' His mother gave him a cake made with water, and baked in the cinders, and with it a bottle of sour beer. When he came to the forest, the little old grey man met him likewise, and greeting him said, "'Give me a piece of your cake, and a drink out of your bottle. I am so hungry and thirsty.' Dumbling answered, "'I have only cinder cake and sour beer. If that pleases you, we will sit down and eat.' So they sat down, and when Dumbling pulled out his cinder cake, it was a fine sweet cake, and the sour beer had become good wine. So they ate and drank, and after that the little man said, Since you have a good heart, and are willing to divide what you have, I will give you good luck. There stands an old tree. Cut it down, and you will find something at the roots. Then the little man took leave of him. Dumbling went out and cut down the tree. And when it fell, there was a goose sitting in the roots with feathers of pure gold. 
He lifted her up, and taking her with him, went to an inn, where he thought he would stay the night. Now the host had three daughters who saw the goose, and were curious to know what such a wonderful bird might be, and would have liked to have one of its golden feathers. The eldest thought, "'I shall soon find an opportunity of pulling out a feather,' and as soon as Dumling had gone out, she seized the goose by the wing, but her finger and hand remained sticking to it. The second came soon afterwards, thinking only of how she might get a feather for herself, but she had scarcely touched her sister than she was held fast. At last the third also came with the like intent, and the other screamed out, "'Keep away! For goodness' sake, keep away!' But she did not understand why she was to keep away. "'The others are there,' she thought. "'I may as well be there, too,' and ran to them. But as soon as she had touched her sister, she remained sticking fast to her, so they had to spend the night with the goose. The next morning Dumling took the goose under his arm and set out, without troubling himself about the three girls who were hanging on to it. They were obliged to run after him continuously, now left, now right, wherever his legs took him. In the middle of the fields the parson met them, and when he saw the procession he said, "'For shame, you good-for-nothing girls! Why are you running across the fields after this young man? Is that seemly?' At the same time he seized the youngest by the hand in order to pull her away, but as soon as he touched her he likewise stuck fast, and was himself obliged to run behind. Before long the sexton came by and saw his master, the parson, running behind three girls. He was astonished at this, and called out, "'Hi! Your reverence! Wither away so quickly! Do not forget that we have a christening to-day!' And running after him, he took him by the sleeve, but was also held fast to it. Whilst the five were trotting thus one behind the other, two labourers came with their hoes from the fields. The parson called out to them, and begged that they would set him and the sexton free.' but they had scarcely touched the sexton when they were held fast, and now there were seven of them running behind Dumling and the goose. Soon afterwards he came to a city where a king ruled who had a daughter who was so serious that no one could make her laugh. So he had put forth a decree that whosoever should be able to make her laugh should marry her. When Dumling heard this, he went with his goose and all her train before the king's daughter, and as soon as she saw the seven people running on and on, one behind the other, she began to laugh quite loudly, and as if she would never stop. Thereupon Dumling asked to have her for his wife. But the king did not like the son-in-law, and made all manner of excuses, and said he must first produce a man who could drink a cellar full of wine. Dumling thought of the little grey man, who could certainly help him. So he went into the forest, and in the same place where he had felled the tree, he saw a man sitting, who had a very sorrowful face." Dumling asked him what he was taking to heart so sorely, and he answered, "'I have such a great thirst and cannot quench it. Cold water I cannot stand. A barrel of wine I have just emptied, but that to me is like a drop on a hot stone.' "'There I can help you,' said Dumling. "'Just come with me, and you shall be satisfied.' He led him into the king's cellar, and the man bent over the huge barrels, and drank and drank till his loins hurt, and before the day was out he had emptied all the barrels.' Then Dumling asked once more for his bride, but the king was vexed that such an ugly fellow whom everyone called Dumling should take away his daughter, and he made a new condition. He must first find a man who could eat a whole mountain of bread. Dumling did not think long, but went straight into the forest, where in the same place there sat a man who was tying up his body with a strap, and making an awful face, and saying, 
I have eaten a whole oven full of rolls, but what good is that when one has such a hunger as I? My stomach remains empty, and I must tie myself up if I am not to die of hunger. At this Dumbling was glad, and said, Get up and come with me, you shall eat yourself full. He led him to the king's palace, where all the flour in the whole kingdom was collected, and from it he had caused a huge mountain of bread to be baked. The man from the forest stood before it, began to eat, and by the end of one day the whole mountain had vanished. Then Dumbling for the third time asked for his bride. But the king again sought a way out, and ordered a ship which could sail on land and on water. "'As soon as you come sailing back in it,' said he, "'you shall have my daughter for wife.' Dumbling went straight into the forest, and there sat the little grey man to whom he had given his cake. When he heard what Dumbling wanted, he said, "'Since you have given me to eat and to drink, I will give you the ship, and I do all this because you once were kind to me.' Then he gave him the ship, which could sail on land and water, and when the king saw that, he could no longer prevent him from having his daughter. The wedding was celebrated, and after the king's death, Dumbling inherited his kingdom and lived for a long time contentedly with his wife.'